0: all right good morning good morning well let's just get rolling this morning we'll just get we'll get going uh, you can go ahead and turn to exodus uh 17 that's we'll kind of pick it back up um while you're turning there let's just discuss a few things there's there's been this theme to the last few chapters we've been walking through over the past few weeks a theme of complaining. It, it had me thinking a lot about, um, you know, the human desire for comfort and security. It's so very hard for us to, you know, let go of some things and to just trust. Um, it's as if it kind of works against our, our nature. And yet we came from God and we're going to return to God. This, this same realization to help Jesus have such confidence. And and I'm not sure we've arrived there just yet, or maybe maybe this is more of a lifelong goal that uh, one day we will you know, be able to boast. And um, it's easy for me not to complain right now. You know, my, my bills are paid. There, there's plenty of food at my house. Uh, my wife and kids are healthy. However, who am I when things are difficult? Really is what speaks more to my character and, and and who I am really. So, as I got ready to to write this message, I slung open my Bible and literally landed on the scripture. And you know me, I, I'm not one to believe in accidents. It's it's a timely word from the Apostle Paul and one that I believe speaks volumes as we step back into. Exodus, and it's in Philippians 2, you don't have to turn there, stay in Exodus 17, it's verses 14 through 16, do everything without complaining and arguing so that no one can criticize you, live clean, innocent lives as children of God, shining like bright lights in a world full of crooked and perverse people, hold firmly to the word of life, then on the day of Christ's return I will be proud that I did not run the race in vain and that my work was not useless. I love Paul, man. He says, "Live clean, innocent lives." What does that look like? It means without complaining and arguing in church. That's a good and timely word for today. Amen. So let's let's pray this morning, and then we'll we'll get going. Jesus, sweet. We need this. We need the ability to be able to stop and recognize when we're starting to complain and, and argue, Lord. Help us to live innocent lives, uh, to, to use this word for the encouragement of our life and to and to really change us, God. And that's our prayer this morning in, in Jesus' name. And everyone says amen. Well, we, we left the children of Israel back in the wilderness. They're complaining about no food or water. And so God gives them sweet water and chicken sandwiches, remember, in the form of manna and And quail, Uh, this seems to be the life in the wilderness as they need something, right? God provides. So let's jump right in. Exodus 17, a little bit lengthy, first seven verses. The whole Israelite community set out from the desert of sin, traveling from place to place as the Lord commanded. They camped at Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. So they quarreled with Moses, said, give us water to drink. Moses replied, why do you quarrel with me? Why do you put the Lord to the test? But the people were thirsty for water there and they grumbled against Moses. They said, why did you bring us out of of Egypt to make us and our children and livestock die of thirst? Then Moses cried out to the Lord, what am I to do with these people? They're almost ready to stone me. The Lord answered Moses, go out in front of the people, take with you some of the elders of Israel and take your hand in this, uh, the staff with which you struck the Nile and go, and I will stand there before you by the rock of Horeb. Strike the rock and water and it will come out of it for the people to drink. So Moses did this in the sight of the elders of Israel and he called the place Masa and Meribah because the Israelites quarreled and because they tested the Lord saying, is the Lord amongst us or or not? You know, no matter how many times you do something, some people are just hard-hearted. They just don't learn, or maybe it's, I don't know, maybe they refuse to. Just one chapter earlier, they had the same exact experience, and God took bitter water, and he made it sweet. He provided for them. When they were hungry, he made sure they had food. Now, once more, their their practical needs are before them, and what they seem to have learned is that if you complain enough to God, he will... Perform. Let me say that again, that if you complain enough to God, he will perform. It reminds me of toddlers. I mean, they scream and they cry to get what they want. And too often, I wonder if we're guilty of giving them whatever it takes to make them shut up, right? Children are dumb. They put two and two together. And in this, we teach them that if they complain enough, they'll get what they're wanting. This current situation with the Israelites reminds me of that, that there's this lack of reverence here for the Lord. It would seem as if they're trying to manipulate God for their benefit because they're not asking the Lord for the things they need. They're complaining to the Lord about the things they don't have and then accusing him of saving them to kill him. Church, that's dangerous ground. There is also this thing that's happening where the Lord is really being humble. What the people see is Moses strike the rock and water comes out. Moses tells the people that this is from God because this is what's really happening in the spiritual, right? But the people don't have this connection with God yet. So what they see in the physical is just Moses striking the rock. They're struggling, making the connection that that they really are murmuring against the Lord because they lack any spiritual awareness, right? God might have been the father of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but their relationship with them has long since gone cold in comparison with their forefathers they don't see themselves complaining against god they just see moses herein lies the humility of the lord that he doesn't feel the need to appear to take credit because he could have could have sent angel or done something even more supernatural but he doesn't he, he just uses moses And this moment isn't to be confused with Numbers 20, where Moses is placed in a very similar situation, but but in that moment, God asked him and Aaron to speak over the rock in front of the people. Instead, Moses, in his anger and frustration at the people, strikes the rock. And yes, water does come out, but the Lord becomes angry because they didn't do what the Lord had told them to do. They did it their way. This singular event cost Moses his ability to enter the promised land. All of this happened because of complaining. And just when you think it can't get any worse, when food and water are the greatest concerns, which which are pretty important, the enemy attacks, trying to further the gap between faith and belief. Isn't that how it always is? Exodus 17, 18 through 13, the Amalekites came and attacked the Israelites at Rephidim. Moses said to Joshua, choose some of our men and go out and fight the Amalekites. Tomorrow I'll stand on top of the hill with the staff of God in my hands so Joshua fought the Amalekites as Moses had ordered, and Moses, Aaron, and Hur went to the top of the hill. As long as Moses held up his hands, the Israelites were winning, but whenever he lowered his hands, the Amalekites, the Amalekites were winning. When Moses' hands grew tired, they took a stone and put it underneath him, and he sat on it, and Aaron and Hur held his hands up, one on one side and one on the other, so that the hands remained steady till sunset. And so Joshua overcame the Amalekite army with the sword. You know, the Israelites make for easy prey. Their only weapons are not swords and knives, but of plows and shovels of that of farming. They're struggling with food and water. They're struggling with unity. They really aren't ready to fight an army. And if you think about it, they've never really had to. You know, Egypt did that. However, sometimes it is in moments like these where you're forced to come together. You know, a common enemy creates motivation to put aside differences for the sake of survival. Come on, remember when the towers came down in New York? regardless of race or political affiliation, we, we rallied together with one thing on our mind, and this is the same. The Amalekites have no idea what they're about to get into. They weren't fighting a people. They were fighting a God. Moses raises his hands, and the supernatural power of God brings favor to the Israelites during battle. This was supposed to be an easy you know, pillage and plunder, but these slaves are fighting better than they should be, right? Possibly supernaturally better as long as Moses keeps his hands up. By the way, how long can you keep your hands up? I mean, seriously, that's not easy. When I was in boot camp, they would make us hold our rifles straight out in front of us for long periods of time. It's, it's kind of like punishment. The rifle doesn't weigh all that much, but it's difficult to hold out in front of you uh, uh, because the longer you hold it up, the heavier it gets. After a while, you start to see guys arching their backs. I mean, they're doing everything they can to hold on to something that seemed seemingly easy, right? However, Moses has helped. In this moment, there are some powerful analogies taking place as well as the beginning of some spiritual leadership training about to begin. The picture of Moses raising his hands, interceding and praising the Lord during the midst of the Bible brings confidence to a people looking for signs of hope. But Moses is still only a man. Having other spiritual leaders there to support the leadership is detrimental. If 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 they aren't there, the, the battle's also lost. In this event, we easily see that a group of people are only as powerful as their leaders. And a leader can only sustain and survive through the help of those around him. What does that mean? What am I saying? I'm saying we, we need each other. And this isn't the end of the leadership-like team building. Look at 14 through 16. Then the Lord said to Moses, write this on a scroll as something to be remembered and make sure that Joshua hears it because I will completely blot out the name of Amalek from under heaven. Moses built an altar and called it the Lord is my banner. He said, because hands were lifted up against the throne of the Lord, the Lord will be at war against the Amalekites from generation to generation. Don't you love how the Lord wants to make sure Joshua hears it? The Lord is also, he's already preparing and growing the next generation of Israel for leadership. And in turn is teaching that Moses needs to take notice of this young man and mentor him. He needs to allow Joshua to be near him so that Joshua can witness everything. And this is how good discipleship begins. It's not how much we teach people in the way of biblical knowledge at times, but how much they see us in our everyday lives that, that matter. After all, the best discipleship and mentorship doesn't happen from a teaching platform. But in our everyday routine and so Moses grabs Joshua and with Joshua watching he he builds an altar from Abraham to to Isaac to Jacob and now Moses the altar isn't forgotten. This is where praises are made. This is where prayers are made. This is where supplication is made. The continuation of the altar is established and while we don't have the law of God just yet, it is already a sure thing that the altar is going to be a part of it. Let's let's close with this. Do you do you have an altar? If not, why not? Altars are found all over the Bible, and not just in the temple for Israel. They made an altar anywhere God did something miraculous in their lives. I Man, I can tell you firsthand. I've got, I've got many altars in my life. Some I have been fortunate to return to, and some not. Right from from Word of Life uh, Church in Tarot, where I witnessed the glory of the Lord, to Mid City's Tabernacle, and. Pastor Henry Cutbirth, where I first filled got filled with the Holy Ghost, and even Lakeview Camp, where I heard the Lord call me back into ministry to to Melody Street in Terrell, Texas, my very first home, where I quit my job because I I knew that if I didn't forfeit, uh, uh, if I, that if I didn't, I'd forfeit the ministry of blessing uh, uh, in my life. To First Assembly, of God, where I first fell in love with God's Church and people here in the Highland Lakes. To Jared and Charity's house, where the idea of building a church family, a cloud of witnesses, was was birth and these are only the big altars of my life there's all sorts of smaller ones and even even Christ had altars from the wilderness trials to the confrontation with the pharisees to the times alone in prayer even to the garden of gethsemane and ultimately calvary we all have altars moments where god meets us and our life changes forever this morning my prayer is always the same That this place becomes an altar for you, for life change, a place where you can meet Jesus face to face. Let's pray. Lord, the busyness of our life um, keeps us distracted, Lord, but I would pray that we would not be distracted today. I would pray that we would see our altars for what they are, places where you have met us And continue to meet us, God, where you have saved us. Lord, places that we may call Ebenezer, Lord, here unto where the Lord has helped us. Lord, for you help us so much, God. Father, we thank you for all that you do. Protect our people this week, God. Um, Lord, only you can keep them safe and direct them and give them instruction, God. Father, we praise you for it in Jesus' name and the whole house says amen awesome guys god you know god loves you and i just want to say so do i so do i